Thank you so much for listening to the Talking Classical podcast. I really hope that you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget that you can subscribe to the Talking Classical podcast and you'll receive a notification every time a new episode is released. You can also follow the Talking Classical podcast on Twitter, on the Talking Classical blog and on Facebook and YouTube. Many thanks for listening once again. I hope that you'll be able to join me for the next episode very soon. everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Talking Classical podcast. I'm really pleased to be able to introduce British pianist Daniel Johnson whose debut album Faith is released on Friday the 6th of November. Daniel enjoys a career as a concert pianist performing on cruise ships and as the classical artistic associate for the Harwich Festival. Daniel's debut album Faith is an album of compositions inspired by biographical experiences and the passing of time. For more information about the album and Daniel, please go to the links in the description. Enjoy listening to this conversation with Daniel Johnson. Would you be able to just tell us a bit about yourself and your journey into music and the piano? How did it all start for you? Because I read that the piano has been a really important part in your life. Yeah, I mean, I actually started um, to learn the piano when I was 13. So it's relatively late, I guess, for somebody to become a classical pianist or concert pianist, however you want to define the sort of genre and and, um, performer, I guess. Um, But it's actually not unusual, I don't think. I don't think it's necessarily if you start late or you start really early, it makes much of a difference. It's the sort of teacher you have um, at the beginning to kind of give you the impulse to go forward, as it were. And I had a great teacher when I first started. And actually, I grew up in Chesterfield, um, which, of course, is very famous for the Crooked Spire. And it's actually at the Crooked Spire that I had my lessons. So every every Friday, I would go along at 7pm and have my lesson in the back room at the Crooked Spire, which has a beautiful grand piano, actually. Yeah. Um, so that was a real treat um, to play because my parents actually, usually, I think when you start an instrument, learn to, you start to learn an instrument, you um, don't really get given like a real instrument, as it were. You always get like a student instrument or a, a keyboard, especially for piano. Yeah. Right at home had a, you know, a 61 key keyboard, um, very, um, let's say, dodgy keyboard. Um, <laughs> did sound like a piano, but it did its job. And it wasn't until two years later when I was allowed a real piano. So I could play real tunes and all this kind of stuff. Um, so back at the Crooked Spire when I had my lessons, it was such a treat to go along every Friday at 7pm and have my lesson on a, on a beautiful grand piano in this sort of historic church in the middle of um, a famous sort of town really Um, so then five years later I went to train um, at college 
and to do my professional training. So by the time I had started at 13, at 16, I'd achieved grade eight piano. And then at 17, I achieved grade eight theory. Mm -hmm. So then by the time I went to college, I was kind of just about ready, I think, to start, as they say, um, professional training. Mm. So where did you train? And what was your experience of professional training like? Okay, so I trained at a place called Colchester Institute, which is in Essex, in Colchester. Yeah. It was a great place because... Sounds like it, an amazing place. It, it really, I mean, yeah. it really was. Um, a lot of people assume that classical musicians go to maybe a conservatoire or a music college. Yeah, it? that's the standard route, isn't it? So, yeah, it's pretty much standard route, I guess. Um, but I went to a lot of auditions, as many people do. And I met my teacher, who ended up being my teacher at the Colchester Institute. And my parents kind of said, maybe you should study with her, because we sort of had a connection in the audition. And she could kind of, we did a almost like a mini lesson, I guess, at the audition. We just had, all I can describe it as is a connection. So I kind of knew as well as with my parents' advice, that I should really go and train with her. Mm -hmm. So even though I did get into a, as it were, a conservatoire, mm -hmm. I actually made the decision to go to, which somebody would say is a local college. It, it just has a music department. Mm -hmm. But the teachers were great, mm -hmm. really good teachers. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I trained there for three years. And during that time, I also had masterclass sessions with a variety of different pianists all known for yeah. a different repertoire and then after my three years training I get uh, well I got a scholarship to train with Nellie Benor mm -hmm. um, in the Alexander Technique which was a great experience because of course until you until it's pointed out you're not necessarily aware of what you're doing as in movement so um, a lot of my Alexander technique was stop, was actually used to stop me from moving, essentially, oh. um, because I would move a lot, okay. um, swaying side to side and doing lots of big hand gestures okay. and, and things, which in a performance is great. Um, but in practice, when you're at home practicing, it's actually losing a lot of energy. You don't need to use that energy. You need to put that into your technique and learning the, the music. Um, so that was great, actually, a great experience. Yeah, that's really interesting what you said, because I think that you can go to the best conservatoire in the world, you can go to the best college, but if you don't go there and, you know, utilise the resources there or make the most of your experience, then what's the point, I suppose? And it sounds like that you really, really thrived in that environment at, at Colchester. And, and as I just said, I mean, I've heard, you know, some amazing things about, about that place. Definitely. I mean, the college now, I have to say, doesn't actually have a music department. Yeah. It has an education degree, music yeah. education degree. Yeah. And it has, I believe, a film and game composition course now. Yeah. But as a classical music degree yeah it doesn't really exist anymore at the college which is such a shame yeah no because I remember they used to have a classical they used to have teach like 
singing and you know like you said classical music didn't they and yeah across the board we we had um a wind orchestra we had a full symphony orchestra yeah yeah so many opportunities and then over the years it kind of as i kept in touch with certain um teachers i found out that it was gently dwindling down to where the point i think it was four years ago maybe they decided not to have a classical typical traditional classical music course mm -hmm. you talked there about your journey into to piano and i think that ties in with the album would you be able to tell us a little bit more about your debut album i really enjoyed listening to the samples that you sent me you said that it was based on your biographical experiences so if you would be able to, can you tell us a little bit more about that? And why did you feel that this was the right time to put out an album? Sure. I pretty much decided to produce this album because at home I have a music manuscript and it's literally got tiny little motifs and chord sequences and so many ideas that I've written over the years. I just had a moment where I thought to myself, I need to put these, I need to produce something that encapsulates everything that I'd written down over the years. And because quite often, as a classical pianist, you get asked if, if you composed your own music. And I've always okay. constantly said, no, no, I, I don't compose music. I don't, I don't do that. Not anything that I would put in front of people. And it's kind of one of those things, it's about... I suppose having the confidence to put your own music out there after all so many years of playing, you know, the standard repertoire, the Chopin, the, the Beethoven, the Liszt, the, you know, Debussy. Yeah. And it was kind of one of those moments where I go, okay, I have some time. I need to, as I say, encapsulate what I've written down over the many years in this notebook which makes no sense whatsoever to anybody else, um, but it makes sense to me. So as I, as I said, I decided to produce it, but how was I going to do that? And that was my big sort of moment. So I thought, okay, I'm going to do it on my own. So I self-produced, I have composed, I mixed, mastered, designed, um, performed, of course, as you say uh, very kindly, you've listened to some of the some of the tracks, yeah. and I've I've tried to produce a string orchestra accompaniment, and it was actually produced um, very helpfully with a violinist who's a great friend of mine and a stunning player, Liz Lipscomb, mm -hmm. um, and she came on board. She did some remote violin work for me. I sent over the scores. She recorded on top of my piano tracks I sent and I mixed it in and hopefully we've created a string orchestra sound that I could possibly do at home. So it took me probably a good few weeks to, to figure it all out, to see how it was actually going to facilitate the, the album. I think I managed it. Definitely. So was this written during the lockdown then? Um, the album was produced during lockdown. Oh, okay, okay. A lot of the ideas, as I say, was, were written down over the many years. So it's, it was like this whole book. So when do I do it? Yeah. So lockdown obviously presented 
the ideal opportunity and time to to really focus on producing an album, which, um, as I say, I fully produced myself independently. Yeah, yeah, and that was that was something that I was really impressed to read um, because I think that maybe more and more because of digital media and because it's just so easy for artists just to put things instantly out there. I know that there are artists who are now producing albums entirely by themselves. So do you think that gave you more flexibility and more efficiency over the whole process as opposed to outsourcing your album to say a major label? I think I think everybody has now discovered technology. Yeah, especially during this time. Yeah, absolutely. And technology if it's used correctly, can be such a great tool mm-hmm. to produce your own work. And obviously, I, I'm a classical pianist. I'm not a producer and I'm not an engineer or a sound person. So I had to do a lot of research into how, how am I actually going to do this was the, the big question. Um, so I did, as I say, I did a lot of research, a lot of trial and error to create the sound I, I, I wanted to create, I guess. So it has helped, technology has really helped everybody to, to, create, to create something, you know, whatever you're creating, whether it's music or art. What software did you use? So I have a very simple setup. Um, I literally have my piano. Okay. I have my... Um, are we allowed to say Apple MacBook? Are yeah, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. And so I had GarageBand. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And so it was literally all done on um, the GarageBand product. And mm-hmm. my friend, as I said, Liz Lipscomb, who recorded a lot of the violin work, actually recorded all of the violin work, um, sent me over her thing and I imported it. And yeah, we created it. Well, I created it on GarageBand, I guess. Yeah. I mean, are you, are you also a bit of a graphic designer as well? Not a graphic designer. Uh, I just like, I just had an idea of what I wanted to look like yeah. um, on the album and what I wanted the cover work to look like. Mm. And um, so I spoke to a photographer who's mm. a great up and coming photographer in Essex called, uh, well, he's called Jake, but he goes under the brand of Underdog Media. Mm-hmm. And we had various chats about what I wanted to what I wanted it to represent and look like because I wanted it to be a natural photo. It's, it's, it was one of those things where I said to him, right, okay, I want to look like this. The, the album is about me essentially, mm-hmm. uh, but I want it to look natural. I didn't want it necessarily to look like uh, a stage piano photo. I have plenty of these photos where my hand is on my chin and I'm leaning over the keys. Yeah, yeah. This kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, but I, I didn't want, to use that traditional image because yeah. I thought I want it to, to represent me. And so if people looked at the, the, the picture, they could see a natural, hopefully a natural sort of image that yeah. sort of said, you know, this is me, my music and I really hope that you enjoy it as much as yeah. I enjoyed producing it, you know. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think that ties in quite nicely because 
you say that although some of the melodies sound like they've been commissioned by Hollywood, your ambition is to take your music to as wide an audience as possible. So do you think that there is perhaps still a bit of a stigma then around that whole crossover and contemporary classical style of, of writing? Um, I think there's, there probably is a little bit of a stigma still, I think. Yeah. Um, but there are radio stations now who are doing great, great work for getting, let's say, the cr crossover idea out there. More yeah. So, you know, and I think that's a great great tool for composers, pianists, you know, whoever, instrumentalists and producers who are creating this idea of a crossover um, to give them opportunity to get out, out to an audience that wouldn't necessarily hear it if the radio stations didn't exist. Mm. You know, and particularly I think now technology, you have, a, of course, you know, many you know, Spotify and iTunes and Apple and yeah. Amazon and all these services, streaming services, that allow people to create playlists to then discover people. I think it's a great idea, but I think the stigma of classical music versus, versus crossover, yeah. I think there is still a bit of a stigma because Chopin, Beethoven, Debussy, all those sort of, these, as it were, great composers, that's seen as the repertoire, the proper repertoire, particularly obviously for piano. But what's to say that all this new music coming out, why should it not be considered in the same sort of greatness as it were? Yeah. You know, obviously a lot of classical composers didn't find their fame until music was discovered in an old drawer, mm. you know, mm. brought out and all of a sudden we have this great music. So yeah, I think we just need to sort of listen a little, little bit more and allow new composers to come through and get out there a little bit more, I think. Yeah, like yourself. Would you be able to then tell us a little bit about perhaps the creative process behind um, some of the tracks on the album and what do they mean to you? Yeah, sure. Well, obviously let's start, I suppose, with the title track, yeah. um, Faith Della Vita. Essentially, I think faith means so many different things to so many different people. So whatever your faith, whatever you believe in, there's something just simply about life that in the end, it will all be right. You're meant to be on a certain path uh, about fate, essentially. And kind of have to wake up every morning and go thank you for what you do have and not what you don't have really and you kind of have to go okay you know it might not be my turn yet but it might be my turn so you just have to believe and have faith that in life it, it will all be okay you know so that's that's Faith Della Vita, the the um, title track. Yeah. And I love I love the idea of water. I just mm. love water. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's three tracks on the album. Um, the first is called The Creek. The second is called um, River and Waterfall. So I. 
basically, as I say, I love water. Yeah. And so those three pieces came to me very quickly almost. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like, okay, a creek. So the idea of a creek is very gentle, um, but very, very playful. So when you hear the track, it's sort of very melodic, very playful, but the whole also has a bit of minor sort of sounding in there. Um, so that's kind of where that came from. River, I just thought it's, a river is so powerful, um, but it's also, when you watch a river, it's almost playful over the little rocks and things. So there's sort of two sections in river where we have the playful section and then we have this sort of F minor middle section that kind of shows where it's a little bit strong. A river has got a strong current under there. So that's where that one came from. And then waterfall. There's a waterfall actually just close to Chesterfield in a place called Matlock mm-hmm. in the, the Peak District. And there's a, it's almost like, well, I grew up thinking it was a secret waterfall, but it's clearly not a secret waterfall. And it was it's on a, a walking path. And I just sort of thought about that when I wrote waterfall. So it's very sort of, Hopefully, it comes across very sort of soothing, romantic, but also a little bit sort of, what's the the word? There's something magical about it, hopefully. And that's where those three water-based tracks began. And then Alamore Vinci, love wins, love always, depending on how you translate that, just purely. Because love wins, essentially, in humanity, in wildlife, in, in everything. If you're positive, essentially, love wins everything. There's no need to be negative about anything in life, as long as you've got love, wherever that comes from. So whether it's love for somebody, or love for music, or love for art, dance, anything. It kind of gives you a positivity. And so that's where the more Vinci comes from. Love wins, love always, yeah. Yeah. So what would you like your listeners to get out of the album then? I mean, you've just talked about some of those, some of those themes there. I purely um, want people to listen um, to it and get hope from it I want people to essentially enjoy it just as much as I actually love producing it so if you love one track amazing if you love two three four if you love the entire album wonderful because I just want people to enjoy it as much as as I say as I love actually producing it so if someone sends me a message saying I love this track or I really enjoyed this track, or I love the entire album, that makes me very happy. That would make me very happy. I want to really, as I said earlier on, I think, is just reach as many people as, as, I, as I can. Yeah. So I don't think it's going to be for everybody. Of course, it's not going to be for everybody, but it is for anybody. Mm-hmm. And so there's a, there's a sort of very big difference in that. So I think... Anybody, if it strikes something in them, then that makes me very happy. You know, I don't care whether you 
are not a classical concert goer or you really are a classical concert goer or you listen to crossover you listen to pop you listen to bonnie tyler you listen to spice girls you <laughs> any music but if you if somebody listens to my album and they get something from it then hopefully i i've produced something that is sort of uh, what's to, something that means something to somebody yeah yeah thank you but i know that was that's that was lovely like i said i've really enjoyed listening to to the tracks and um yeah i really do hope that you are able to to reach a wider audience through through your music how can people hear your album how can they access it so people can buy my album now they can pre-order it yeah Uh, it will be actually live on Friday the 6th of November mm-hmm. um, and yeah if you do buy it or pre-order or listen to it do sort of say hello to me on social media I have Twitter Facebook Instagram all at Daniel Johnson Pianist UK so you can send me a message if you've listened to it what you think of it and all that kind of stuff yeah so I look forward to hearing from everybody Thanks so much to Daniel for taking the time to talk to me, especially for this podcast. Thanks for listening once again. But in the meantime, you can catch up with all of the previous podcasts on whichever platform you like to access your podcasts. I've had the opportunity to talk to a wonderful array of artists and creatives. So if you'd like a little bit of inspiration, please do check them out. Meanwhile, please do stay safe during this time and bye for now. In more recent years, I think that there has been quite a big shift towards melody now. And I think that's something that, you know, a lot of composers and people are really embracing. No, I think melody, like you say, is particularly, it's such a strength. Because Mm. when you hear, say, the E.T. theme, image you get is, of course... The, 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 the cyclist going over the moon. It's so powerful how that one melody can create that. And also in Star Wars, for instance, you know, you know exactly what that theme is for. Yeah. It's because of the melody. Uh, and that's so powerful. Yeah. So powerful in movies, in video game music, and all those sort of associated genres where actually we're not talking about necessarily something um, which people would consider highbrow, but we're talking about melody and it's how it affects the listener, mm. the game player, or, you know, whoever, whoever's watching the film. It, it means that such a cohesive, the art form brings everything together. So the films themselves, without composers, it wouldn't be the same film. Yeah. Mm, Definitely.